Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. On the line, I have my buddy, my colleague, the greatest Disney expert on the face of the planet Earth, Jason Cochran. Hey, Jason, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I know I love being praised, but that was extreme. Am I the biggest on Earth? Maybe not. I've met Maybe some the most nutcases. I'll give you that. Perhaps that is true. <laughs> Perhaps I might be the most honest. Uh, well, hello. Hi. It's great to be back to tell my honest truth. Yes. Well, you just returned from several weeks in Florida to update the next edition of Fromer's Disney World, Universal, and Orlando. And I got to ask you, what has changed? What are the big changes that people are going to see there if, if they go in the coming year? Orlando's kind of in an interesting spot right now. I think there's just been a burst of change and there's going to be another burst of change in two years. So the city's kind of holding its breath and figuring out what is you know about to happen to it, both good and bad. So it's just in this really interesting moment. Um, uh, so I, it's a perfect time to go and check out the, the city for the next edition of the guidebook, which will be out later this year. Right. Well, you were there when some big news broke about a, a, a rare failure at Disney. Why don't we start with that? Yeah, it was the Galactic Star Cruiser. And people call it a hotel. It's really, it was sort of like a two-night, like, uh, immersive costume show where you're pretending to be in the Star Star Wars universe on a kind of like an ocean liner of outer space. And, you know, people come in and out into different characters, and there's a battle with lightsabers all around you. So that that was a two-night kind of show. And because it was so intensive, you know, with the actors and the special food and all the special props and sets that had to be created for it, it was a very, very expensive product. We're saying if you, you know, if you wanted to stay in one of these rooms, which were really like cabins without windows, there instead of a window, you had a screen that looked like you're out in outer space. To stay hmm. for just the two night show in a cabin with your family could cost as much as six or six thousand dollars, I guess, to start. You could go up from there, and so wow. that when it came out. When it announced, was announced maybe two years ago, three years ago, it sounded very exciting. A Star Wars hotel, boy, that's going to be fantastic. But then when we realized it was going to be more about a performances and the price therefore had to be as high as it was, because these were actors who were in the union, for example, who were performing all around you. That's very expensive. Um, Then we became very doubtful that it was going to succeed. And sure enough, a year and a half now after it has opened, it will be closing down in whatever incarnation it is now. We don't know what they're going to use the custom-built building for in the future, because oh. Disney doesn't like to waste. But um, but for now, this Galactic Star Cruiser, uh, as, it, as we know it as the two-night hotel experience, has failed. And so when will it end? If real Star Wars fans want to try it, when is the last time they can possibly do that? At this point, it's too late. All the available oh. last-minute <laughs> slots have been sla- snapped up when people found out that it was closing. Like like many things at Disney, it's going to close right before the end of the fiscal year, or the end of September. It, a lot of oh. things happen in Disney, you know, the Disney universe from October 1 on, including the opening of Magic Kingdom in Florida, because uh, that's when the fiscal year begins and <laughs> the new accounting can begin. So they're going to wipe this off the books at the end of September. Interesting, but it's it's too late. I, I bet there's somebody posting their tickets, you know, on StubHub no or something. I'm sure there'll be cancellations. People who 
thought they wanted to do it and then realized I can't afford to do $6,000 and they'll cancel. So keep your eye on it if you really want to do it on the Galactic Star Cruiser website that Disney runs. And there's a calendar there that will show availability if there is any. So that is gone. That or soon will be gone. And it was a good um, idea. It was just too expensive. So yeah. maybe there'll be a better version of it in the future. It's a, it'd be a fun idea for a vacation to take this like, you know, whodunit type of, you know, you're really in the plot. But uh, it's just too expensive the way they did it. Yeah, so they can't they can't even rework it. They're just going to close it. But they also they also launched some new things, right? Yeah, um, the, about two months ago, a brand new roller coaster opened in Magic Kingdom, which is of course the most popular theme park in the world and the most important of the four Disney parks in Florida. That's the Tron. I think it's Tron Light Cycle Run. It's it's a duplicate of a ride that's in Shanghai Disneyland that has an extra word, which is there. It's Tron Light Cycle Power Run, I think. But anyway, it's the same exact roller coaster, even though the name is slightly different. And it's really, really fun. It's super short. It's like 90 seconds long. But you kind of, huh. you, when you get on, it looks like a bicycle. So you hunch over and um, then there's like a part of the bicycle comes out and sort of clamps you around your back so that you're huh. locked into this position and can't fall out. And your legs are gripped as well by the car. And then it just shoots you off. Like, I don't know, instantly you're like at 55 miles an hour or something. Uh, and you go soaring outside, and then you go diving into a building where there's this tangle of rail inside. It's super fun, um, and everyone loves it. Are you pedaling your legs? No, you just sit there while it does all the work for you. Yeah, yeah. it's it, uh, but it's such an unusual way to sit on a on a roller coaster that it's quite exhilarating. It's almost like yeah. it feels like you're you're grabbing the you know the handlebars of a motorcycle as it speeds down the highway, except you're swooping wow. all around. And there's a beautiful lit canopy if you're lucky enough to ride it at night. It's gorgeous. The trick is Disney now when they open new rides is you have to get on what's called a virtual queue. You can't just walk up to the ride and wait because they're so popular. They can't handle all the people that want to ride it. So they like you have to get up at seven in the morning and try to get the into the lottery on the app to try to get oh. a seating time. It's very, very it's a pain in the butt. So you're never really sure when you're at a day at Disney what time you're going to ride the new latest ride uh, because it's the lottery system that determines it. Huh. Uh, uh, do some people get VIP access, those who stay in the really you know, expensive hotel rooms? At the moment, no. I'm sure that will change in the future. At the moment, everyone can enter at 7 in the morning when you're outside the parks, and there's a second drawing at 1 in the afternoon, but you have to be inside the park for that. Now, am I right about this? I never think of the Magic Kingdom as being a place for you know, adrenaline pumping rides. I always think of that as where it's a small world is and, and the castle and all of the cute things yeah. for the smaller kitties. So is this an attempt for them to expand the appeal of that particular park? As you, as you know very well, Disney people are kind of culty about the culture of, of Disney. And there is a lot of controversy about Tron having gone in. Of course, they've had time to get used to it. It was announced more than five years ago. But people are now. But people are saying, why is there a, a ride based on like a modern movie, an adrenaline ride uh, in Magic Kingdom, where it's a little bit more about the animated films? And you know, so people feel like it's just, it's kind of a right hand turn to a degree hmm. uh, for the Disney company. But there's a lot of people who just don't care either because Epcot, which is another major Disney theme park in Orlando took the similar turn a few years back and people still go there. So I just sort of think it's a sign of the times that Disney wants to use what's called IP, which is their intellectual property to build the newest, fastest, coolest stuff. And in, in a way it always has. I mean, what was it in the 1950s? It was rides based on Peter Pan. That's IP technically. Sure. 
So it's right. what they do. But yeah. yes, there is some controversy to do with it. You know, and it is by far the fastest ride now in that park. Uh, you know, we think of Space Mountain being the famous scary coaster. It doesn't go more yeah. than 27 miles per hour. It's in the dark, huh. though. It just feels faster. But this one is legitimately not for everybody. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but my mother was an actress and we went to Space Mountain the day before she had a big audition. I guess it was the the Space Mountain at Disneyland. There is one there, right? Yeah, it's a different design, yeah. but it's there too. Okay. And I remember her being on Space Mountain going, because she didn't want to scream uh, <laughs> and ruin her voice. And so she was doing this weird kind of crooning sound. She was like a diaphragm-supported howl. <laughs> exactly. I was a teenager, and, and you know, she embarrassed me a lot when I was a teen because I was a teen, and that's what parents do to you. But I think that was the that was the pinnacle of, of just wanting to shrink into my seat. <laughs> and that was in the dark, too. So no one they probably thought it might have been you. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So Disney isn't the only one that's taking a big turn. SeaWorld, too, is really trying to change the experience there, right? Oh, it's very clearly trying. As people might remember, there was a documentary that came out well, a number of years back now called Blackfish that accused SeaWorld of uh, doing a lot of terrible things. Some of, the, some of the things it had done to animals, it did a long time ago when the documentary made it seem like it was more recent, but it really damaged the reputation of the company. And so about six or seven years ago, it didn't ever announce wait, that it was doing we, this. Leave, yeah. Hold on, before we leave that, some of the accusations were fair, weren't they? I don't want to just say that. Some of them were that. fair, but they weren't timely. Yeah. They, they, they're actually, they were things that the, the, the park had actually addressed a long time before and stopped doing years before. And the, the documentary made it seem like it was still happening. But yes, they although, had done the things they were accused of doing. And there is a an argument to be made that the types of creatures that are shown in SeaWorld really shouldn't be in enclosed uh, areas. They really oh, need to be out. The are, especially yeah. the orca whales, which in, in nature have a huge range of motion in their lives and, of course, are now living in tanks. But, you know, right. you, you can get into the whole history of SeaWorld. But back in the early 80s, they really did collect orca from the outside world. Now they don't. They just collect wounded orca or ones that have been raised in captivity, especially, so wouldn't know huh. how to be wild. But I'm not. I don't want to defend SeaWorld. I'm not so sure there's a place for for aquariums right. with animals for animals that aren't that are supposed to have a much wider range. Um, so I'm not going to defend SeaWorld, but I'm going to say they're changing course. They are not announcing that they're doing that, but they're building a lot more theme park rides. They're building a lot more roller coasters, especially. And the SeaWorld Orlando has now kind of become. Uh, the place in Orlando for thrilling roller coasters, uh, and Tron at Disney World beside. They've huh. built two thrilling roller coasters just in the last two years, plus another two that were happened in the you know the 10 years before that. And there's a rumor that they're building a new one soon because I saw them constructing or tearing down trees in the middle of the park, but they haven't announced what's going there quite yet. So these two brand right. new roller coasters that are built are thrilling, they're fun, and they're making it very clear that SeaWorld wants to be known not as the place where you see Shamu. I don't think they even sell Shamu ice cream bars anymore. They took them off the menu. Huh. Shamu is now sort of a thing of the past, and it's going to be a place where you go for gardens, for small fish, and for thrilling roller coasters and for food. Interesting. So, are you so so a, a big change at SeaWorld now? The other big change is you can finally get a decent meal 
in Orlando, right? I mean, uh, I guess you would say you would say that's been a while. You go to the ethnic restaurants in the little uh, yeah, Mills Fifty. Uh, Mills Fifty, and it's been a traditionally a terrific place to get some of the best Vietnamese food in America because it was one of the places where people would come in the late seventies, early eighties when they were moving to America from that part of the world. Uh, and it became a hub. That's sort of dissipating, but in, in an interesting way. Wow. Now, Mills 50, it's not just Vietnamese, it's Pan-Asian. So it's all, it almost got better because it became more diversified across uh, Asian cultures. So Mills 50 is still a terrific place. And there's probably 40 different restaurants you could choose from that are representing food from all across that part of the world, many from first-generation immigrants or people who came during their own lives. So it's a really great place to get authentic food now. But but what's also happening is there's a lot more upscale food happening in Orlando. Um, you know, there's a lot of money being spent, especially in Florida, yeah. um, especially on vacation, especially on uh, you know conventions. And uh, the really nice nice uh, uh, restaurants have popped up to not even popped up have been established to try to bring uh, bring in that customer. One of the longest running nice restaurants in Orlando was called Norman's. It's a guy named Norman Van Aken, who's like what, known pretty much as one of the premier chefs in all of Florida. He began at a place called Louis Backyard, which is a Key West, one of its finest restaurants. He ran a couple restaurants, I think, in Coconut Grove. But he, he had a place called Norman's at the Ritz-Carlton, and the contract ran out. And everyone said, well, I guess that's it for Norman's after COVID. But instead, he retained his core staff paid them during COVID and reopened in a brand new location uh, in the past four or five months. And I ate there and it was as exquisite as it ever has been. Boy, that guy really knows how to cook. Incredible huh? like lobster bisque and uh, buttery fish. And it's just the best of Florida in a lot of ways, like those kinds of seafoody things done really well. And so Norman's has reopened and people are very excited because for a long time, it was known as like one of the preeminent restaurants in Orlando. And in the old Norman space at the Ritz-Carlton, they've opened a place called Knife and Spoon, which has a terrible name, I think. It's like kind of, you know, you see that on a hotel board. You're like, I don't want to eat in a place called Knife and Spoon. You do want to eat at this Knife and Spoon. Uh, it's uh, Oh, it's so good, though, because the chef, he's so, so, so clever. What he's doing, we all know there's been a big culture of like uh, – uh, what's the food uh, molecular gastronomy, right? Where you do crazy things to food, uh, and and the Richard Blaze, of course, of Top Shelf has been a big proponent and pioneer of this kind of stuff. Well, what the guy named Jules at um, at the Knife and Spoon does is he does these things, but he doesn't tell you he's doing them. So all of this oh. clever stuff is happening in the kitchen, but what shows up on the plate looks completely normal. Uh, completely like yeah. something you would expect, but then you taste it and it's got all these varieties of crazy fermentations and, you know, different kinds of sous vide cooking that you didn't expect. It's so interesting and so fun. I had such a good time there. And it's the kind of place that's very Florida, right? So on the surface, it's like, I could have an expensive cap and go there. I could want a steak. I can get off the golf course and you're going to be fine with what you get on the plate. But the people who know food, no, there's something deeper going on. And I find that very Florida right now. There's things working on two levels. So try to please everybody, you know, so nobody is too uh, put off by what you're doing. So Knife and Spoon is a really great place to go. It's at the Ritz-Carlton Grand Lakes. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds amazing. So what I've been finding from a lot of our guidebook writers is uh, in different parts of the world, a shocking rise in the cost of, of accommodations. What is going on with that in Orlando? And, and are there any ways around uh, these 
suddenly much more expensive places to stay. You know, I'm really not seeing a crazy rise in Orlando. Oh, that's um, I'm seeing, you know, something that kind of matches with regular inflation you're seeing everywhere. Because there's okay. so many options in the city. Hmm. Um, and I think because it is a place where business travel happens and a place where leisure travel is so important, especially for an international crowd, they're still missing some of the people who used to go. I'm not saying that's translating into deep deals, but I'm saying it has, there's not a lot of uh, – the demand is not so high that hotels can afford to keep pumping up their rates skyward because they, they oh, haven't replaced great. all their international visitors yet. And uh, right. there are people who know we're entering rocky economic times, and so they're not going as much. So I think that might have offset a lot of the issues. Now, there's still lots of expensive places to stay if you want, but there's still plenty of places on the bottom end as well. Oh, that's great to hear. Good, good, good. Uh, before I the leave, the problem is, the of course, resort fees. By the way, that's the one thing I, yeah. I, everyone needs to look out for. And I do mark very clearly in the Fromer's Guide which ones have resort fees good. and which ones don't. Yeah. All right. Before I leave the topic of Orlando, I think what's been in the news most is the very public battle going on between Disney and the government of Florida. Does that affect? the visitor experience at Disney World? Honestly, not not that I could tell, not at all. None of the things that have, of course, that's all tied up in the courts right now. So not a lot has actually been effectuated from this uh, change. Um, the one thing I will look out in the future for is if the roads start to deteriorate a little bit, uh, if, if basic infrastructure starts to fall apart a bit, because now the duties are kind of being expanded past what Disney, the Disney controlled Reedy Creek Improvement District used to do is now their huh. the state is trying to offload that. And the proof is in whether or not it's going to be well maintained, right? Or, or whether infrastructure projects need to be done. And they don't get done because now it's the state's responsibility. The way the RFID began in the 1960s was Disney himself, Walt Disney, wanted to build this resort in the middle of the swamp. Florida right. was not a rich state. You know, it was the 1960s. Was this part of the state especially, it was just literally cattle and, 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 and citrus in that part of the world. Huh. And the state couldn't afford to build the roads and to dig the irrigation canals, which are absolutely necessary in such a waterlogged part of the country. And uh, so the Disney solution, which was supported equally by Democrats and Republicans at the time, was, OK, fine, we'll set up this Reedy Creek Improvement District so that the state doesn't have to pay for the roads, for the canals, for the, uh, you know, all the infrastructure that's going to be required to build this resort. And the state was all gung-ho gung about it. Every, you know, people from both parties voted it in. And now, of course, we forget the original reason the RFID was set up. We call it special privileges, la, la, la. But it was extremely important at the time. Uh, but huh. that goes back, though, to what we're going to look for in the future, because RFID was always – Reedy Creek was – Reedy Creek Improvement District, RCID, was always about infrastructure. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the infrastructure does in the future. It's also going to be interesting to see if this case is even won. Um, but nothing right. is happening on the ground that you'd be able to notice. There are fewer people in Disney World right now. I'm not really? um, entirely convinced, yeah, that that has 100% to do with politics. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, people being nervous about spending and, you know, all the other things that are catching up with this and inflation and stuff. It's a luxury product, essentially, right. now. You, you know, and you need to have uh, – luxury products are more susceptible 
to downturns. And uh, that's the one thing I think that you're going to, you're going to see some more Disney deals over the summer. You're going to, they're bringing back their dining plan, which is a way to get people coming in because they're going to give them a free, you know, sometimes they give them the free um, meals in order to to have a week long vacation there. So you're going to see a lot more deals coming out of Orlando. Um, But I'm not entirely convinced that has anything to do with politics. Interesting. All right. Before I let you go, you're a peripatetic guy which means you haven't just been in Orlando recently. You also rode the iconic Rocky Mountaineer. Uh, am I getting the name right? And and how was it? The Rocky Mountaineer, if you don't know, uh, the people listening, because I know you know, it's, um, yes. it's a kind of a luxury scenic train. And there are very few of those in North America. Um, and it goes, there's four different routes. Three of them are in Canada. I took the classic route in Canada, which goes from Vancouver to Lake Louise and Banff in Alberta. And I had a fantastic time. I mean, being a luxury product, they they do things well. There's a lot of logistics to running a, you know, a, a comfortable train on a rail line that is also shared by two freight services. And they make sure you're comfortable all the time, even if there are delays. Everything is all inclusive. Meals are included. Drinks are included. You get a guide who's on the microphone saying what you're about to see when you pass. And the train carriages are custom made. It's like a two-level bubble dome window so that when you're pulling through the forest or alongside rivers or going into the Rockies, you have a view of the sky of all around you. There's light. There's unimpeded photography. Uh, my camera was absolutely full. So it's, it had, it's a really good time. It's a lot of sitting. It's 10 to 12 hours a day, but you can get up and roam around the car if you're in the gold leaf version of the thing. Which There's a whole uh, slideshow on fromers.com that is now live, and you can check out some of my pictures and also some of my recommendations of which class you should buy, what you shouldn't buy, what you should be thinking about if you do oh, it. Good. I had a really, a really good time. Um, was the food think- good? The food is great. The, the 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 class of service I was in, which is the class of service I recommend for everyone, um, has the best observation cars. It's called Gold Leaf Service. And in those, you get a chef and a crew and a galley in your car. So you can say, uh, you know, I don't like cream and, and they won't put cream in your – they'll cook everything wow. for you. Uh, there is a set menu, of course, and they use local ingredients. They're very careful to find Canadian beef or, you know, cookies that are baked somewhere along the train line by a vendor uh, because they know you're – not to let everyone who rides that it spends a lot of time in Canada and they want to show off Canadian right. foods. So yeah, the yeah. food is really terrific and um, uh, fresh and hot and, and they're very clever. They time your meals so that you eat when there's really not much you really would want to take a photo of, you know, right. if you're just going right. by a river yeah. for two hours, so, you know, it's always beautiful, yeah. but they time it. So it's, yeah, I, was, I had a great time. It was, like I said, was it's it? very logistically complicated. They take care of everything for you. They, you leave your luggage and it's, you find it when you check, you, you show up at the hotel in the night, uh, there's a two night event, and the the the, the, the night the night in between your two train days, you're staying at a hotel because there are no berths on the train. Uh, but you, when you huh. show up in your room, they hand you your key. Your luggage is already there, and then you leave your wow. luggage in your room, so you don't have to worry about anything but a day bag, which is fantastic. Oh, that's incredible! Was it your first time in Banff? It was my first time in Banff. I I call it uh, Yosemite Valley's pretty sister because <laughs> it's so gorgeous. <laughs> It's wow. really beautiful. And I was also at Lake Louise, which is, uh, you know, it's all kind of of a piece around there. They're all near each other. Um, and, and I can't wait day, to go back. Do they give you tours or what do you do during the two days you're not on the train? 
you know, it's, you're on the train for two solid days. You go about 285 right. miles the first day, 300 miles the second day on the trip I took, which are full days, but you don't right. tour at night. Uh, and at night you can do other things. And what most people do is they buy extra tours or packages or hotel stays on either end. So you can hang out in Vancouver for a few days, or you can hang out in Banff. Um, they do a couple other journeys too. They go to Jasper, and, but you could stay a few days where you were and they'll put it together for you there too. I think that's how they make a good amount of their money beyond the train. Um, and nice. I only had a day or so afterwards. I, I, you know, explored Banff, the town a bit and Lake Louise, but that's all I had time for. I see. I see. Well, you can read all about it, as you said, on firmers.com. Thank you so much, Jason, for appearing on the Firmer Travel Show. Thank you. Our next guest is Anthony Pizzuto. He is Senior Director for Brand Marketing and Operations for Days In. And I wanted to have him on the show because of this. Oh, I am loving this look. You know, if I weren't a mirror, I would totally steal it. But I am. So I won't. Okay, Anthony. <laughs> so... What the heck is that? <laughs> uh, isn't it just great? <laughs> so, yeah, I love it. So that is our newest amenity. It's our complimentary mirror, and it uh, it's in a uh, it's a follow up to last year's complimentary pillow, where we we identified something in the room that's that's you know that everyone has in their house, everyone has in their hotel. And the last thing that you normally do when you're leaving your hotel room is you check yourself, right? Well, how great is it if you have a button that you can press and you get an awesome compliment from a well-known voice like Ross Matthews? It's just great. <laughs> yes, I love it. It's hilarious. And Ross Matthews is always hilarious. He is the sidekick for Drew Barrymore on the Drew Barrymore show, right? Correct. Yes, yes. And so let's play another... Another one of, of Ross's compliments. Okay, find your angle. Yeah, oh, there it is. Yes, pose. Oh, well, no one told me we had a supermodel staying with us today. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> did he come up with these or or did you guys write them? I mean, how did this come about? It, it, was, a, it was a collaboration of, of you know, we, we knew that we wanted to work with Ross. And when we reached out to him and he was available, it was just, it was, um, it was Providence, right? You know, everything just kind of lined up. And uh, the lines were, were a collaboration, and we, we sat down over a Zoom and recorded uh, several takes of about 10 of these. Actually, I think we did 15 or 20, and we narrowed it down to 10. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, it's just Ross has this iconic voice. He has this iconic presence. Uh, you know, like you said, he was the co he's the co-host of Drew. He started out as Ross the intern on Leno, you know, and, and he's just had this great career. Uh -huh. And then he ended up on the red carpet and, and, you know, his spent his career talking about people and, and giving advice. And so. And in a very nice way. I think that's why he's always, he's so popular. He, he's just a breath of, of fresh air, you know, in, in, in a sea of negativity. He always has something positive to say. Absolutely. And our brand promise for Days In is making every day brighter. It's what our founder, Cecil B. Day, set out to do 53 years ago. And we continue to try to do that to this day. And so, you know, working with Ross, it was just a perfect, you know, matchup here. Because like you said, he, he you know, just hearing him talk brings a smile to your face. Uh, I spent, uh, we have one in our office and I spent a few minutes just clicking it. And, and it just, this, it turns every frown upside down, right? <laughs> so, but, but. 
not every day's in customer will get this. How uh, tell us about the parameters of this promotion? How long does it last and where can people find it? Absolutely. So, uh beginning on May 22nd, guests staying at select days ins across the country will will And I should say that this is pre-taped. <laughs> so, uh you know, so so this began on May 22nd. Correct. Yes. And uh so it's at select days and properties. So, the campaign will last throughout the summer or or as as long as as they stay up in the uh in the rooms. But they're only in about 10 locations across the country. And so this is part of kind of an overarching way for us to tap into the media, to get people to talk about us, to get people to think about days in differently, right? You know, like I said, it's a 53-year-old brand. And over time, you know, the perceptions shift. And so we're really targeting that next-gen traveler with these types of campaigns, like last year's Pillow campaign with Putty, with this year's campaign with Ross, bringing compliments to the hotel experience. So uh, so where do people find out which 10 hotels they can try this in? And it's not in every room, right? Correct, correct. It's uh, They can go to daysin.com slash mirror and about uh-huh. 10 of these hotels and it's in 10 different rooms. So if a guest is going to the Days Inn by Wyndham Albuquerque North or uh, Days Inn Brunswick Bath area, uh, they can ask for the uh, mirror room or the Ross Matthews sunshine room and uh, and hopefully it's available and they can get it and they can experience it for themselves. Yeah, well, I got to I got to say, I don't know what you guys were smoking, but I love <laughs> This new take on complimentary amenities, just hilarious. Thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Hey, thank you so much for having us. Appreciate you. And that's it for this week's show. I thank you so much for listening to those who are traveling. May I wish you a hearty bon voyage, and I'll see you next week. Watching Kate.